Ladies and gentlemen, around the world, this is Gamina T.K. Kirkland. You're listening to the T.K. Kirkland Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the T.K. Kirkland Podcast. You know, like I always tell you, I love traveling the world, running the interesting people. And the day I met a brother, well, not today, today I have a brother on the on the show who I met, um, who reached out to me, wanted to do his podcast. Um, I came on the show, um, did some time in the past, got great character, great wisdom, great strength, wants to do great things in his life. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to come on the show and introduce the world, to introduce you guys to him um, so you can see his growth as time goes by. Hey, gentlemen, I want you to meet Mr. King Skull. It's Skull, correct? Yes. Say it again. I said thanks to TK. It's King Skull. King Skull. Mm-hmm. So, family man, very dedicated. Now, how long did you how long did you go away for vacation? For seven years. You did seven? Yeah. Seven. Damn. Was it um state or fat? State. Oh, so you got them fucked up sandwiches, the fucked up soap. Yeah, yeah. The fucked up meals. And I was uh away from home because you know I'm from New York, so I got locked up in Pennsylvania. Right. I was away from home. They had me somewhere in the mountains, man, with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was cold out there in the winter. Man, it was snowing in May. One guard. Let me ask you a question. Did they um, they didn't transfer you around? Um, yeah, I moved to a few joints. I was getting in trouble here and there and stuff like that. Okay. It was, uh, took me a while to settle, settle in. Now you was getting in trouble. What, like what? You was having cell phones or something? No, not really cell phones. Like, see, the state is kind of hard to get stuff like that. That's not like the feds, but I was getting in trouble for, like, fights and okay. uh, stuff like that. Basically fights. There ain't really no drugs or nothing like that. It was just, right. you know. So, now, what did you fight about? What did you fight about, yo? Um, Back then, I'm trying to think. One fight I got in school for. It, really over nonsense. Uh, I, fought uh-huh. my, I fought my bunkie. Um. I ain't gonna say his name, but we still cool to this day. He's in the industry right now. He's doing very well with himself. And we fought—I forgot what we fought over—but we fought in the bathroom, and um, nothing came from it. But people just dropped wild requests on me to get me off the block because they felt like I was a bully. And right. They just dropped requests to get me off the block. So the unit manager, which is the head of all the counselors, called me in the office that Monday. It happened Sunday. She called me in the office that Monday. He said, Mr. McCleary, uh, what happened in the bathroom? I'm like, nothing happened in the bathroom. So what got me out of it was because the guy, he had bruises on his face, but he came, like, when she questioned him, he like, my man, he said, I'm, I hit my head on my bones. So he basically got me out of it, and uh, we squashed each other. I, I can't even think what we fought over. I can't, I can't, right, because most of the time it's over dumb shit. Yeah, I can't even, I can't mm-hmm. even think. It was so many years ago. That was probably like 2008, 2009. Uh-huh. I can't even remember. But stuff like that, like, you know, a little fight like that. And 
nothing real serious. It was like never no real, real serious. Always like over, over like you said, over cards and stuff. That's why, like how we said, we don't talk about politics, religion, and mm-hmm. yeah. and and that applied with jail because that's the three things you get in you'll get an altercation with and that can make you stay a little longer than what it was. Because I was in, in on a um a four to eight. I did seven out of the eight. I was four. I could have been home in maybe three and a half. Damn. So I extended my stay. Yeah, yeah you liked it in that motherfucker, nigga. Nah, I didn't know Yeah, that. I'm just being I'm being funny. Like shit. Yeah. Yeah. You see what happened to um what's the the Atlanta rapper? How he was doing, they say he was doing drugs from jail with using Cole, his baby mama. Oh, Gucci, who was that? Polo, Paolo. What's the kid's name? Uh, he's a rapper, and he got busted on a plane. Halo. Is it Halo? Hold on hey. a second. I'm gonna, it's on TMZ. It's on Blast shit. Hold on a second. Halo? Oh, Rilo. I said, okay, Rallo. Rallo. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, Rallo. Yeah, he he, he was locked down. He got caught on a plane or something with drugs. Right. So he was supposed to get bail, and they revoked his bail. Wow. And that hurt my feelings because I like that dude. Yeah. See, one thing about when I was locked up, I I never engaged in any, like, no drugs. Or I didn't even do nothing illegal. Like, you know, I might have ran a store. I had a store maybe in the county. But Mm -hmm. I left the county, I said, man, like, I'm – like, I'm not really trying to indulge in nothing. I'm just going to get out and, uh, you know. And... See, what's wrong with the kids today? They're not scared of anything. Yeah. See, there has to be something that that got to put fear in you, right? When I see the young kids getting shot, when I see young kids' confrontation, I watch um, social media, and I see the kids pulling away from the cops, fighting the cops. Everybody thinks that if you're not doing that, you you're giving away your rights or you're a punk. But it's not that. The goal is to respect them as much as you can. Like I say this in my show, because the goal is to get home, right? So, and all they want is respect. They don't want you cursing at them. They don't want you like, why the fuck you pull me over and all that. Yeah, all that's not necessary. What I want young men and women to hear what I'm saying is the goal is to get home. Always remember what I'm saying to you like right now, ladies and gentlemen. The goal is to get home. Mm-hmm. And that means you stay polite, stay respectful, even if you do have a warrant, even if you do have a gun or whatever, right? The goal is to get home, meaning even if you go to jail, you could bail out and fight the case. Even you go to jail, one yeah. day you're gonna come home. Yeah. One day, one day. I don't give a fuck if it's like you said, seven years, two years, a month, ten years. One day you're gonna come home. Yep. Yep. What's but dead is final. But we got to keep it real with our people. Our people, like I love my people. I'm black, but it's just, it's just all people just do too much, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on. It's, you, you you get pulled over by a cop, you're moving around. Like, we know the standards, whether the cops is in a wrong, which they totally are, but mm-hmm. we know the standards. And we know, how, we, like you said, we got to make it home. 
Like we got to see another day. So if a, if a cop, matter of fact, for example, me and my me and my fiance was in a car. I got ten to right. my car pulled over, and I wrote all the windows down. All yep. four windows. That's said, right. Four windows is freezing. I said because I want him to be able to see everything and feel comfortable. Yep. When he when he's pulling up us over, he said, "Oh no!" She said, "Roll the window up." I said, "Listen, we gonna we gonna roll the window up after you give me a ticket or whatever the case may be." And we right. You know what I'm saying? Because we are dark catching, we need no excuses for for them to to reach or. or Damn to right. And I mean, it's not that it's not that we don't know our rights. We know our rights, but we gotta use a little bit of wisdom in a sense yes. of, of of we know how these people play. So if I know yes. how they play. Of course, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna engage and give them any 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 fuel to put. Yeah, because they're looking for it. Yep. See, they're looking for it, and yep. you have to outthink them. Yep. And that's what you did. You outthought him because one little wrong thing can be disastrous. Yep. Yep. And we don't yep. want that. Even in jail, like when I was in jail, I did time, and, and like, you know, in the beginning of the stages, like, they always say, the guards always say something, and you always say something, you always say something. I'm like, why are you always saying something? And the one guard came to me and said, man, because you're always doing something, right? And then... Mm-hmm. You're on their radar. Right. I had to really think about what he said, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do everything right, so when they say something to me, like, now I know they're fishing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, certain stuff you can't have on a hat in the building. So, you know what? I always have my hat on, so I take my hat off. I don't yep. let them tell me. I just do it before. And then I, exactly. put that in, I put that in my everyday thing so they wouldn't have nothing to say. I to love me. that. You know, you got to outthink them. That's what I mean. It was what you just said right there. I, but what I hear, you are starting to grow. You understand what I'm saying? You start, you're starting to grow as a man. You're starting to think like a man. Like, why have all this heat on me in here? There's nothing there. I got to see these motherfuckers to, for the, every day for the next five, six years. I don't want some kind of issue. That, that shit is stressful yeah. to be a troublemaker. And even on the streets, when I see people, I'm like, yo, listen, my brother is a correctional officer of state New York. Mm-hmm. I got any of that's cops. So I'm not, like, I don't mess with cops because obviously the life I used to live but now that I live a different life it don't bothers me as much you know I me mean, to get pulled over by a cop or right you know, or have a community because I got neighbors that's police or retired police you know what right. I'm saying so like it don't bother me as much because I'm not condoning in any negative action paperwork is right your mindset is right you come home yeah. you got your lady there you got your baby there there's a beautiful feeling yeah, and, yeah. and that's why I wanted you on the show as well because I want to put that love into the universe. I want people to hear my show and to hear how I bring solid men to the game. Because you wouldn't have been on the show if you wasn't mm-hmm. solid. So even though you had told me that um, you was in jail before, your character spoke volume all the times that we spoke. Mm-hmm. Now you do the seven times, the seven years. Your girls with you that whole time. Um, no, I didn't have no girls at that time, nope. Okay, okay. So when you get out, you meet this young lady, and how long y'all been together? Well, I'm in a few young ladies, but <laughs> but this one, I was with this one for two years now. Going okay. Now. Okay, all right. Nice girl. She working and everything? 
Well, yeah, we, um, I just got her uh, a beauty bar and stuff like that, and she do her little um, work with the youth, the children, like the youth. Uh, awesome. Okay. Youth programs. Yep. So she okay. works with the youth and stuff like that. But, yep, she's been real good for herself. Okay, good. Now, while you're in there doing that, you get out two years, you're getting yourself together, you're making some money. Now, what made you want to create your podcast? Like, what 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 triggered that? Um, all right. So I'm gonna take you back, right, to 2006, seven. I was running around with a cam a camera, and I wanted to do rap DVDs, mm-hmm. and I like, get local artists from the Bronx and Harlem and Brooklyn, and put them put them all on uh, one CD, kind of like how Smack DVD was doing. So right. that was that was like the thing back then. They had a few other DVDs, and I was coming out with Stack City TV. And um, I, and I was just got too far in the streets, and I was just getting a little too much money, and I was feeling myself, and I was like, man, I ain't walking around with this camera, and I just put the camera in the back, and I just, you know what I mean, kept doing me in the streets. Right. I got ten years, of course, but um. And when you got caught, I'm sign up. When you got caught, were you running? Or they caught you in the car, or they came in your house? Oh, they, well, they was watching the investigation, so they caught me coming out my house. Okay. I, I was driving, and they pulled me over. But I'm thinking, like, maybe, okay, they're just pulling us over. But then there was two cop cars, like, and it was cornering us. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing? You know what I mean? And then they pulled me out, threw me on the ground. And, and then from there, I still didn't understand, because I've never been, like, really in police contact at that time. I'm, like, 18 years old. Right. I'm like, I'm like, damn, what the hell would I do? You know what I'm saying? I'm not thinking about an investigation. I'm thinking like, right, right, you know. Right. So I'm like, what what happened? And then they explained, and then they ran to my house, and they caught a lot, a lot of drugs. And um, and that's how it was. And I could have gone okay. out and get out, just tell me where you got it from. And I'm like, I forgot I fucked it in the trash can. So they're like, what you doing in this small town? You from New York. I said, I'm trying to go to college. And so when they see that I was bullshitting them around. Mm-hmm. That's it. When she started lying. Yeah, the DA said he pushed for the four, four to eight. Because really, with a case like that, my no record, I should have gotten like maybe, like maybe a two to four. But I got the aggregated sentence because me not cooperating. Right. And you had a public defender. No, well, I had a pay lawyer. Oh, you did? I had, matter of fact, I had, I ran through three lawyers that time. I had the same lawyer Beanie Siegel had, right? I had, it, mm-hmm. well, I had the first lawyer, and then something happened with him. Like, my luck, he was going to jail. Like, he was in some scam or whatever, so I had the to attorney? The attorney. The attorney. Wow. I mean, his name is David, David Gennaro. No, don't say his name. We ain't going to say his name. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, huh? Well, yeah, so he got, he got in, um, in some trouble. Then I had another, another, another lawyer, and then I'm like, I'm not feeling what he's saying. So my family got I like me. The way you move, that's the way to do it. You see, your, your money was long then. Because what, 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 what I want people to understand, when you fire a different attorney and go get another one, shit, just to talk to him and bring him to court is seven to ten thousand. And 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 that's what I was saying. That for uh, for um, being civil lawyer, that was about seventy five hundred just for him to come down. Right, oh, that ain't even the case. That's not even the case. It was, and, right. but, 
it didn't come out of my pocket. I gotta have him like friends that 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 you know that you took still care. your money though. Still your money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, still your but, money. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. But, but basically, he tell me like, "Yo, man, you better take this deal, or some people could come get it and." Feds and this, this, that, and third, and he said, "Man, this is really nothing you really could do because they're not budging." So he said, "See, I believe all cases can be budgeted, right? Like my thing when I was getting in trouble, I used to extend the cases for two years. I would pay the attorney to extend the case. Act like you got a trial. Act like this came up in two or three years because so many things can happen. The judge can get sick." The prosecutor got promoted and went to a whole nother state. Like, I know this shit right here, you know. And now, two years, three years, unless it's a high-profile case, guess what? Motherfuckers are really not that really interested in your case that much no more. At least when I was getting in trouble. Now, the goal is to lock motherfuckers up. And when when I think of prosecutors... You know, you got to be a hater to be a prosecutor. Mm. Understand what I'm saying, right? Like, unless it's rape or murder or being a pedophile, some shit, a motherfucker, you should just not not give him a um, a slap on the wrist, but just put a motherfucker to the side and give him probation and keep him in check. All, all this shit doesn't need to put people away for so long. Mm. And that's how the system designed. The system is, is really is really not I don't think they care about the time you get. I think they just care about the conviction. Right? And then like even like the law has changed since I've been in trouble. Right? Yeah. I mean, like I got friends and stuff like that that's you know what I mean, that's locked up. And mm-hmm. when I mean laws have changed even as far as parole. I remember when I first got on parole People was going back for scratching their head wrong. You know what right. I mean? I, I, I was just telling one guy, I'm like, yo, bro, I mentor him. I kind of talk to him. I tell him what to do and how he should move on parole. And um, and I, like, I've been there, so I'm, I'm telling him, I'm like, yo, man, you kind of, you kind of got lucky, man, because I remember people, the parole officers, to go and outside their trash cans and see an empty liquor bottle and violate them and, and do get the fuck out of here. Yes. I see. I saw one parole saw somebody at the um, TGL Fridays. He told me to report to my office Monday morning. Then violated him for that. He did about two years for that because he was somewhere where they were selling liquor. You know what I mean? At that time, it was it, it, it was it was it was crazy. And then you know what I mean? Now it's, it's a little different. They, they're a little more lenient. A little more lenient. Because mm-hmm. I think at that time too, they were thinking about dismantling the probation and parole board. Am I right? I think they was going to get rid of that. Yeah, so what the what those guys started doing, the parole officers started doing, is put people back in jail as much as they can so they can keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. It's just really sad about the system, you know. Even when I sit here and I watch the Republicans, right, and the Democrats about the stimulus package to give out to the people of the world who are struggling, who don't have food, who are about to get evicted. Yeah. And they only want to give these people $600 a week, right, extend unemployment. But the guy McConnell, 
they're so out of touch. The government is so out of touch because most of them are rich. And none of them have really struggled and came from the hood to understand the pain that people are going through, right? And that's why I'm here on this show today. I'm going to stress the, the young men and women to try to get your kids to be in politics and to try to get in Congress because, listen, until we get our people up there, I'm talking about just normal folk, people who uh, who grind every day, who saw their parents do work hard, we need that type of representation in the Senate, in Congress. Because until we get that, we will never truly have what we really want on the streets because I'm tired of the Republicans and the Democrats fighting. It's like a damn heavyweight title fight every time the country needs something. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you can't, okay, we do this for you, but you do this for me. Where it should be, yo, you know what, let's get together, this sort of people, whatever you guys need. Because we got the money. Yeah. And we could send billions of dollars to other countries. You know what we could do for our own people? Yeah. It shouldn't even be that fucking complicated. Yeah. But they make it complicated. It it don't make no sense. Putting all these people in jail in America, we got the highest incarceration rate in the world. And and majority of it is nonviolent, believe it or not. Yep. The people that's convicted is nonviolent. Like, you know what I mean? Even look at Bill Cosby, for example. Uh Right? In the state of Pennsylvania. The statute statute limitations to certain things. You know what I mean, they went all. You could tell they went outside the guidelines. Just to yeah, they did for Bill Cosby. Whether he did it or he he didn't do it, I'm right. not saying he did or he didn't. Right. My personal opinion is my opinion. Right. So, but I, from what I know about the law, this is this is over seven to ten years old. This man, he's ninety almost. He's ninety years right. old. Right. Right. You talking about stuff he did when, in his fifties? You know what right. I mean? That's, come on. That don't that don't even make sense how you how you could get a conviction out of this. Like you know what I mean? Right. But, I totally agree. But that's how they do. They change the law to benefit them. Like, you know what I mean? They always wanna win. And even for somebody at Bill Cosby's stature mm-hmm. to be convicted for something like that and after all he contribute to Oh, they don't care about that. See the thing exactly. about the thing about prosecutors, they go for the big fish because they're trying to build a name, right? But I'm going to tell you how Bill Cosby lost his case. This is my opinion. See, when you fight a case of that magnitude, you don't go out of state to bring in a big attorney. You find an attorney who's big in the same city. Mm-hmm who goes to that court every day for the last 20, 30 years, who has a relationship with the judge, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you go to court, you postpone it a few times, and eventually, because of the relationship and the prosecutor, guess what? They offer you a deal. Mm-hmm. They offer you a deal. Mm-hmm. Now, what Bill Cosby should have done, because he he still has a register as a sex offender. Yep. Right. He still has a register as a sex offender. So 
I if they would have came if they were saying we had to do mandatory jail time or he registers a sex offender, we give him time served and he he could stay out of prison. I'd have bought him that deal. Because yeah, I'd have said, yeah, I'd say, Mr. Cosby, listen, you're going to still, either way, you're going to have to still register as a sex offender. I know your pride. I know you don't think you did nothing wrong, but in actuality, we have a deposition of you actually saying that you gave these women Spanish fly. We have a deposition saying X, Y, and Z. And since they are coming back for us, Let's beat them at their own game. Because my goal is for you, sir, not to do no jail time. So you got to be that smart with your client. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing that he had a register as a sex offender. Hell yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. But you're in jail and you still yeah, a well, I, sex offender. I agree with you for a simple fact of, of his age. Like, you know what I mean? It's like he's already... He's up in age, you know. Yes, but you don't i tell you a story, right? And I'm going to let you finish. It's not how well you live, it's how well you die. Yeah. See, you can have a bomb-ass life all your life, right? You can have mansions, the most beautiful women, money for days. But how did you live your last years of life? Yeah. So him being locked out, guess what? It don't mean shit what he accomplished. Yeah. Well, that's out the window. All out the window. Yep. It don't mean it don't mean nothing. But for, for, let me ask you a question. For as a for as a comedian, how mm-hmm. does that you? Because I'm sure you came across Bill Cosby in your career at some point, or somebody that mm-hmm. something with him. How did his conviction of, you know, Mr. Cosby, the guy, the lovable guy on TV, to get convicted for something so harsh like that? How did what happen? How how did you take it as far as Bill Cosby, you know, the lovable Okay, guy? I respect that. So here's how I think. See, I'm I'm not what you call a true comedian, if you understand that. I'm just a street nigga who got blessed and understood that he got blessed. And I'm not just a street nigga. I'm a kid who went to college. I ran track and field. I went down the wrong path for a few years, but it was just my way of creating character when I look back on my life. Mm. See, I'm not a comedian's comedian. I'm not a fan of the Bill Cosby's. I'm not the fans of the Eddie Murphy's, the Arsenio Hall's, the Sinbad's. When I see them, I see them. When I came up in the game, I was watching them, but I wasn't watching them. They're, they're, when you see most comedians, they say, who's your favorite comedian? And all the comments, oh, Eddie Murphy, was for Eddie Murphy? I, I don't say that. I'm, I'm, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. My thing about me was, that's how come when you see me perform, I have my own style. You don't see me I have a style that I'm, I'm so serious on stage that I'm not, I'm not even cracking a smile. So it's safe to say, like, you, you basically finesse your way in the game. You bullied your way I, in the Right. Because I wasn't trying to be a movie star. Yeah. I wasn't trying to do television. I didn't like the concept of how that they went about that. 
So when I was preaching, when I was preaching in the the 80s and the 90s, because, you know, I was fucking with, the, I, you know, I came up in the rap world. Yeah. I came up in the, in the rap game. I didn't come up in the comedy world. I came up in the rap game from the Easy to the Cash Money Millionaires to Jay-Z to Luke to Nelly to Ludacris. Um, I was in that world. And when I saw how easy moved, I applied all that to my life. I didn't learn what I learned from the comedy world. I learned this from Street Hustlers, the rap game. Because Easy was the first person to have his own record label. So I took that same concept to want to be. He was before Uncle Luke. Say it again. I said he was he was before Uncle Luke to have a uh, rap label. Oh yeah, hell yeah, Easy Ruthless Records. We nobody had a record label. It was just Easy. Wow. Mm-hmm. So me Easy was tight. So by me being a hustler, I was creating things. So I had Rufus, um, Rufus Comedy with Easy before he died. That was going to come out. No one never knew about that. I was going to start Rufus Comedy. And I know that shit was going to take off. It was right, right after probably Def Jam because I wanted to do my own thing because I understood it. Everything I'm doing now, I wanted to do in the 90s. So Rufus Comedy was going to be something that I wanted to do because I understood independence. I understood ownership. So all my drug dealer friends from Harlem, Philadelphia, Chicago, Oakland, I used to all try to get everybody together to put up money to do certain things. But damn, they was going down like dominoes because of the conspiracy charges and snitching and niggas just doing bad drug deals. Like I had all the street niggas on lock. But everybody was going to jail. Everybody was going to jail. So I was preaching ownership in the early 90s. So when I see Dave Chappelle talking to Netflix and uh, HBO about take the Dave Chappelle show down, see, people back in the day who didn't understand comedy who didn't understand this until it hit the fan that Dave got robbed. Yeah, he got publicity, but he got robbed. He got his his, his character, his, everything got stolen. Mm. It got so, stolen. Is it safe and, to say, is it like safe to say like, like a cult in this industry? Like you got you to gotta basically, they want you to do it their way? No, 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 no. It's not that way. See, let me explain to you about Hollywood. Let me, let me finish the story about the street, and I'll tell you about that. I'm sorry. The the, the hustling thing, I had all the streets. So so from then, when Easy died, I took that same concept and took it to every rapper that I would know that was huge. But no one understood the kind of money that you can make in stand-up comedy. I took it to 50 Cent. We was going to start the G's of comedy, but he had a manager named Chris Lighty. And Chris Lighty would take forever to get the deal done. So it was going to be signed with William Morris. William Morris was going to be behind it. 
Um, Chris Lighty was down. Fifty was down. We was calling it the G's of comedy. Um, it took so long for them to sign the deal. It took, it took like a year. At the time they was getting ready to sign it, I didn't want to do it no more. Because I also saw 50's career, his star was starting to decline. He wasn't the big guy like he was when he first started. What year was this? This is like in 2008, 2009. Okay. This is when uh, Kanye West, they they had the album come out and Kanye was so more regular. Yeah, during during that time, it was the downfall. Yep, right there because Kanye beat him on that, remember? Yep. And so I was... I'm sorry, go ahead. I said, no, I was shocked because 50 was that dude. And when he got, when Kanye over so much. Right. Uh, yep. I was shocked too. And so, um, then I took it to the Cash Money Millionaires. I took it to Luke. I was trying to take this, the idea that I had to everybody because the concept that I had in my life, it was a, a album cover back in 1968 with the Jackson 5. And I always knew about co-signing. See, watch this. I knew this before y'all was born. In 1968, we get a chance. Google Dinah Ross presents the Jackson 5. What Barry Gordy did, the Jackson 5 was huge, but they were bigger because Dinah Ross co-signed the Jackson 5. I took the same concept and wanted to apply it because imagine if 50 Cent or Easy stayed alive and we call it Rufus Comic or the Jesus Comic and you got the hip-hop world with the number one artist in the in the world co-signing, it's a home run. So that's the same concept Dr. Dre did with Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept Dr. Dre did with Eminem. It's the same concept Dr. Dre Eminem did with 50 Cent. See, you had Dr. Dre and Eminem co-sign 50. Mm-hmm. And plus the music was banging. So with them two discovering 50, how the fuck could you lose? Because the same people that was buying Eminem shit were going to buy 50 shit. Yep. And back then, nigga, I'm, I'm talking about when we was coming. I remember coming out to the Detroit Theater, me, 50 Cent, Eminem. We was at that baseball field out there. And um, 50's always been good to me, by the way. So me, him, we on MTV. We walking out. That was one of the greatest fucking feelings in the world because I have toured with everybody. Yeah. But to see that this white guy, Eminem, was so huge that he had, more, by himself, he had more people in the concert than all the Wu-Tang, N.W.A., Too Short, Public Enemy combined. <laughs> so I wanted to do the G's of comedy or that, like that. So when people say, oh, fuck Hollywood and all that, see, black Africans, black actresses, black actors, we look to get approval from the white man, right? Yeah. Oh, they got the Oscars. I didn't get a movie. Well, that's they shit. I ain't get Oscars. See, this is how I think. That's they shit. Yeah. I can't come in your house and tell you to give me a sandwich. 
Yeah. That's your motherfucking meat. That's your bread. If I want to eat, I'm gonna go get my own motherfucking sandwich. Like Tyler, like Tyler Perry, like Tyler Perry. He don't have like blockbuster movies, but he's independent and he's consistent, and he he he's tapping into his audience that right. love him, and that's how he became a billionaire. Because that's he, how he became a billionaire. Because he owned everything, and yeah, I don't care if I make ten ten thousand. As long as I can make ten thousand consistently. I'm in the game, and that's basically, I'm using that as an example, but. Yes, and this is what I do with my comedy specials with Amazon, right? I'm in control. Yeah. Now, people see, everybody's on the illusion, oh, TK should get on Netflix. Now, Netflix might cut me a big check one day, and I, I ain't dumb enough to say I'm not going to work with Netflix. Netflix cut me a check for $3 million. You motherfucker, right, I'm taking it. And I know that will come. But with Amazon, guess what? I'm getting consistent money mm. on my own time. I know what date I want to put it out. I know when I want to film it. I know who I want to hire as the crew. I know where I want to shoot it at. And I ain't got to ask nobody for shit. Mm. And that's what I mean by independence. Like, Think about when earlier this year when Dave should not Dave Chappelle, um, Nick Cannon got his show stole from him. Yeah. Right? Got his show stole from him. That. I thought that was his show. Everybody yeah. thought that. And we found out that Nick Cannon was just an employee. Mm. That's it. He was just an employee. And that hurt. I don't know if it hurt you. I think it hurt a lot of African Americans because <laughs> We all thought he owns his shit. No, and, and it did. And you know, like, you know, when people mention Nick Cannon, like, you know, like, everybody always say, like, he owns this, he owns that. And I really thought, and he he definitely seemed like a good dude because I see him employ a lot of people. Right. For as far as, like, giving him a platform as far as that show. And I'm like, yo, that's got to be his show. He owned that show. So when I heard, like, like when you said, and even if he didn't own it, I, I really feel in my heart that he created that show. Right. And th- that's really his show to me. I'm like, oh, man, that's really right. Whether he really owned it or not, but I thought he owned it. Yeah, and, and you know, in the hip-hop world, they say TK was the first to do everything, right? Yep. I'm going to give you some information nobody knows until right now. When Nick Cannon created Wild and Out, I was the first nigga he called to do the show. And when people who are listening to this, you ever see Nick Cannon, you walk up to Nick and say, Nick, remember when you started wilding out because you're from San Diego and you was a fan of TK Kirkland and you asked TK to be a part of the show? True story, dog. And everybody know I don't lie. It could sound like it's crazy, but I tell the truth. It don't sound like it's too crazy to me because, like, what I've learned, right, you are respected in, in the game, the rap game, the act, like, comedians respect you. Like, Charlamagne, he speaks highly of you, right? And and I think you are underrated. I think you are, like, I think they don't give you as much props as they should because mm-hmm. you're not your stand-ups. And my brother, he did, my oldest brother put me on you. I'm like, ooh, he's funny, boy. I go on YouTube, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, damn, he is funny. 
And then it's like something that I can relate to. So when you do interviews like on other platforms and stuff, so it's kind of like it's, it's like going to church and hearing the preacher. You know what I mean? Because like you get something that you could use to yeah to 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 to, to better yourself. Like you right. Know? Not necessarily like, you know, you preach about God, but you're giving me Jews and drop that I can apply to my everyday life. Yeah. That makes sense. And, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And that's why I thank God for these platforms. I was just on the phone with a great man, um, David Kleeman, right before I called you. And see, in the 90s, we didn't have these kind of platforms, right? All we had was David Letterman, Arsenio Hall, really just Arsenio Hall. And if you can't get on Arsenio Hall, no one really knew about you. And you had to have, you always had to go through a middleman because there was no direct contact, right? So when you have shows like Vlad, when you have shows like the Breakfast Club, when you have shows like yours, when you have shows like the TK Kirkland podcast and all these other platforms, and I can get on them and people reach out to me, they, TK, can you do our show? It's equivalent to doing Arsenio Hall back in the day. It's equivalent to doing David Letterman back in the day because millions of people view me every year on these platforms. So I walk down the street now, it's the same love I would get in the 90s. But I love the fact how everything has happened organically. And that's what it's all about. You know, even when I started my clothing line back in the day, a few years ago I started my clothing line, and this guy um, hooked me up, but I didn't like, he hooked me up with Red Bubble. And Red Bubble, I was all excited about doing Red Bubble because I felt like it delivered the stuff right to the people without me carrying T-shirts around and all that kind of shit. But then when I saw that Red Bubble was charging forty something dollars for my hoodies or whatever, um, and I was only getting six motherfucking dollars. I'm like, oh, they got me fucked up. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, they got me fucked up. They really did. So with that said, I'm launching my new clothing line, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the Who Raised You hoodie will be out. The material is excellent. Um, we'll be launching on the 31st. The new hoodie we launching. The, my new uh, street cred line um, with my TK hat and TK t-shirt. Um, we're, we're launching um, God in Heaven clothing line, signature um, pieces. And you just go to the website. And let me give a shout out to um, go to Image, MH exclusive website, website www.tshirtandhoodie.com. All designs powered by Just Script, Just Just Drip Designs, home of Goodness Tag, the producer, and now the home of TK Exclusive Drip. So go on to www.tshirt and hoodie.com and click the TK Kirkland link. 
And what's so great about this company, if you want T-shirts made, you want your own T-shirts, your own hoodies, whatever, this company can do it for you. And that's what's so great about this. You can start your own company, ladies and gentlemen, and and your own T-shirt game is just what you want to do. You know, they'll charge you whatever, but these people are phenomenal and great people. And I will be promoting my um, partnership with them. This is my first time on my Instagram. We're going to start seeing it with um, posting because I'm really happy I found the home to really put my hoodies out the way that I want. Great, I'm talking about great quality stuff, and people are really, 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 really going to love it because I should have really had done it a long time ago. But like I told you, remember I told you since we've been talking for a couple months, I always say everything for me has to happen organically. Yeah. Because when it falls in my lap, it's, it's, it's meant to be. It, it wasn't forced. It was just right, and I want people to understand that. Also, ladies and gentlemen, since we're on the show, um, December 31st, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, check me out, the world-famous Uptown Comedy Club in Hapeville, Georgia. Go to the Uptown Comedy Club website, to get your tickets for the New Year's Eve um, bash, to also be in the building, to get your exclusive Who Raised You hoodie, um, worth about $250, comes with all types of authentication because the hoodie's going to be numbered because they're so beautiful that this is just not no regular stuff. It's going to be um, 20 sold at first. And then we'll go into full production next year. But you're going to love it. Comes with a bag, comes with all the goodies and all that kind of stuff. And you got to make sure that you go to um, Uptown Comedy Club website to make your reservation. And go get you um, a hoodie, a T-shirt. And like I said, you could do, it's going to have different designs on there. You pick the one that you want, and they'll make it for you and send it to you. Um, and all the information is there, all right? So go to www.tshirtandhoodie.com and click the TK Kirkland link and get your shit. I think you're going to love it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, King, tell everybody your podcast, how they can find you, because we want my 8 million fans who listen to me every week to start following you, and we're going to watch this brother grow, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Well, it's Stack City TV. It's at Stack City TV on Instagram. Uh, Stack City TV YouTube channel. You can like, subscribe. Um, we got new, new, new material and stuff coming out on the 1st of January 1st. Um, you know, we interview celebrities like uh, TK Kirkland, uh, Capone from Capone and Noriega, Fat Boy SSE, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a lot of good, good content coming in January 1st. We're stopping now because we want everything to be fresh for January 1st. And, um, and we got a lot of new merch, Stack City TV merch. And um, tune in to get tuned out T-shirts coming. And um, Stack City Lounge, Hookah Lounge, 
well, I'm sorry, Stack City Social Club is in the process. It will be up and running in Scranton, Pennsylvania, January 15th. And that's it. That's it, man. Good, yo. King, we appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen around the world, listen. By the next time we hear this, it'll be 2021. I hope that your pain wasn't too bad in 2020. I hope that you made it through this year. This was a motherfucker. To the people here who lost family and loved ones, I lost three aunts and three uncles in March. You know, God bless them. And to other people around the world who lost somebody on this horrible, horrible, um, horrible year. But you got to wear your mask. You have to sanitize. You got to wash your hands. You got to use your sanitizer. You got to keep your distance. Even if you're in the house with loved ones and family, wear your mask. I'm going to repeat it. Wear your mask. And if you got time to do research, I know they talk about the Spanish influenza back in 1918, mm-hmm. but I don't know why they don't take the time to tell everybody about the Black Death. The Black Death was the worst pandemic that ever happened. And I want to share with you, ladies and gentlemen, not to get you scared, but to understand you really have to wear your mask. Google the Black Death. The Black Death pandemic lasted 22 years, ladies and gentlemen. 22. Killed over 75 million people. And they don't tell you about that. So wear your mask. Stay healthy. I mean this shit. Yeah. Stay That's, healthy. I didn't even know that. That's crazy. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, look up the Black Death, yo. Thanks again for having me, TK. Everybody, tune in and get tuned out. Stack City TV, Ask Stack City TV, YouTube channel, and Instagram. Yep. Follow us. And, yo, and we on, on, the other, on the other note, too, when other stuff comes through, because I told you what we should do with Vlad, and he's, he'll, I'll go back to him the top okay. of January, but you on my shoulder. So when other opportunities come down the line, I'm going to show you love. Thank you, Mr. TK. All right. Happy holidays to you. Talk to you soon. To everybody else, may your pain be champagne, and may you have a blessed 2021. Peace. Thanks, mate. Same to you. Everybody have a blessed one. One. Make sure you follow TK Kirkland on Instagram at TK underscore Kirkland for more information about upcoming events and more, visit www.officialtkkirkland.com. This episode of the TK Kirkland Show was produced by Chris Thomas, executively produced by Charlemagne the God. This is an official Loudspeakers Network production.